This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, Brother Skip's going to preach out of uh, Matthew, the third chapter, this morning. If you want to turn with me there. Uh, third chapter of Matthew. Uh, we'll read the first first 12 verses, Matthew 3, 1 through 12. <clears throat> when, you, when you find your place, would you stand? <clears throat> Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children from Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Heavenly Father, we uh, come again this morning in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, thankful to you for uh, the promises we have before us here in your word. The uh, awesome truth, the promise of baptism in the Holy Spirit. Your presence with us through this age and beyond. Lord, teach us uh, to be led by Your Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, that we may do what we're put here to do, which is glorify You in this world, image You. Pray this morning for uh, enablement. As always, Lord, I ask that You enable me to speak the message You would have delivered here. I ask that You grant accuracy, Lord, and I ask that You uh, grant clarity. And I ask that You open all of our ears to hear what, what You are saying, what You're saying through the passage before us so that we might have a better understanding of You and Your work. 
that we might draw closer to You and love You more and be about Your business. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Michael had called me earlier because I, I, I give him the uh, text to print in the uh, bulletin. So he called and said, you gave me the same text you gave me last week, so, which is a very legitimate question. You know, do you, do you, are you giving me the right text? <laughs> At least in my case, that's a very legitimate question to ask. Um, and and I, I, I said, yes, we're dealing with the same text. You know, I was reading somewhere. It took, uh, if, if you're familiar with D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's been, been called by many uh, the greatest preacher of the 20th century, was a uh, pastor of Westminster Chapel in, uh, in England uh, for years, for a long time. Great preacher, great expositor. And he, it took him something, I think he was preaching three times a week, if I remember correctly, but it took him uh, eight years to go through uh, the book of Romans. And it was just a packed houses because, uh, again, because of his uh, God-given ability and talent. Um, but I heard a wise preacher say one time, uh, he said this, keep in mind, you're no Martin Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> so, so when, when, you know, I look at a text, like we, we did this text last week, and, but you know, you, you often you look at a text and you think, boy, we didn't. There's, there's more here we could cover, so I want to come back. So I'll, I'll do that. So it's, there's always this balance. You know, we, we need to keep moving. Um, and at the same time, try, make an effort, get as much as, as we can. So that's why we're coming back to this text today. There's just, just more here I wanted, wanted to deal with. But uh, generally, our, our goal is to kind of, kind of keep moving along at a, at a good pace. We, we don't want to get to the end of the book and forget what the beginning was about. Okay, so... And, uh, and unless you're a very, very gifted preacher, um, by the time eight years go by, you know, probably uh, most of the people have forgotten what the beginning of it was about. All right. Um, you ever had the tendency to, or maybe just been around somebody who, who, who wants to one-up everybody on... Things you know, you you've got something good. They've got something better. My daddy can beat up your daddy. You know that that kind of thing. Um, you get a bicycle for Christmas, and you, you know you go around showing it off. You know my bicycle is the nicest, the best. It's the best one. You got a, a football team. Your football team's better than the other football team. You know all this kind of thing. There is a least one place where that is totally legitimate. I mean, we're, we're talking about, when we talk about Christ, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the greater one. Or as John says it here, the mightier one. The better one. Remember when, when we were going through Hebrews, you know, a better covenant built on better promises. And we saw that the priestly ministry of Christ was better than that of the Old Testament priestly ministry of the, of the uh, Levites and that sort of thing. So when we're talking about Jesus, 
we're talking about somebody that we can say with all conviction and all confidence is better. Christianity, I know this is not the way you're supposed to say things in our pluralistic society, but Christianity is better than any other belief system out there. It's better. One reason is because it's real. <laughs> it's reality. And the others are not. Uh, it's reality. But it's better. Christ is better. He, he's, he's a greater prophet than Mohammed. Greater teacher than Buddha. He, he's a greater philosopher than Aristotle. I, I don't care who you put him up against, he's better. And he's mightier. There's, there's not a... Uh, they used to call them ultimate fighters. I think they got something different they call them now. There's not a fighter out there that has more power than Jesus. In the fleshly realm or in the spiritual realm, you can compare him to Satan himself. There is no comparison. He's mightier. And you can compare him to the wisest among men, the greatest leaders, the greatest rulers. He's better. In fact, it's, it's a comparison of creature and creator. So you're really talking two totally different categories. But he's always better, and Christianity is always better. And that's the point of this section of John's message that we're on. John himself uh, is beginning to be esteemed highly by the people. They recognize that he's a prophet, that he's a great prophet. And as a matter of fact, Jesus says there's no greater prophet than John. And some of the people are... are apparently recognizing this, or at least recognizing the legitimacy of, of John's ministry. And they're coming in droves to be baptized by John. We're talking about John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. And Luke gives us a little background on this discussion um, that, that Zach just read in, in Luke 3. What happens is they begin to ask, are you the Christ? I mean, they're starting to think, this, this guy, John... Pretty amazing. Even though he has he does he doesn't do any miracles, but he's preaching the word. I mean, he really is delivering a word from God. He's baptizing, and and his baptism uh, is new. So, so if you if you think about it, I mean, it's kind of kind of an incredible thing. Uh, here, John comes on the scene, and he's baptizing. Jews, uh, they were already practicing baptism for converts, like if, if, a, if a non-Jew converted to Judaism, and it was a symbolic of cleansing. Um, but the, the Jews, the Jewish mindset, was they, they had no need for repentance. They had no need for baptism. They're God's people. So here John comes on the scene preaching and baptizing, and, the, and so they... They recognize there's something special about this man. And they ask, are, are you the Christ? 
And John, in his characteristic humility, says, No. No, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to loosen his sandal straps. And he picks the, <clears throat> the, the chore of a common slave and says, I'm not even worthy to do that for this one who's coming. I'm here to announce His coming. There is a coming one, but I'm, I'm not Him. He is mightier than I. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. The mightier one, or the mighty one, you could say. Jesus, this one who John comes announcing. I'm going to focus in primarily on verse 11, and we'll use some of the other verses as you know, again, to get it in context and shed some light on it. But primarily, we're looking at verse 11. Now, John comes preaching, baptizing, and preaching repentance. Repent. We talked about that last week. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So, his primary, the primary focus of his, of his ministry is to announce the coming of Christ, whom he calls here the coming one. Also keep in mind, this is Matthew's primary focus. As Matthew is pinning this gospel account, this is, this is what Matthew is doing. He is introducing us, the readers, to the Messiah. Matthew's purpose is to show that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And to give us some insight into his identity. We, we've talked some about this too. Not only is he the long-awaited anointed one, the Messiah, whom the Jews had long uh, looked for, but he's also God in the flesh. So this whole account here is somewhat of a, of a, of a parallel, you could say, to John 1, where John just the Apostle John just makes it clear Jesus is God. He existed in the beginning and He became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Matthew uses narrative and gives us things like um, the, uh, the account of the virgin conception to show that Jesus is God. And the, also the passage we're looking at this morning, which is what we're going to examine. And so John comes baptizing and preaching, and his, his whole ministry is about repentance in order to make the way for the coming one. He's exhorting people um, as, as uh, he, he is called to do in, in the office of, uh, of Elijah. He's exhorting the people to turn to God and get ready because the kingdom is near. It's at hand. The arrival of the king is at hand. So he's crying out to them, repent. Repent now for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's baptizing them to symbolize this act of repentance. So the people come. They hear his preaching. They presumably believe it. They submit to it. And they are baptized by John as an outward show, an outward symbol of the fact that they are indeed repenting in preparation for the kingdom of God. And there is 
great expectation uh, surrounding all of this because, this again, this is the message. Essentially, Messiah has come or He's... It's, it's imminent. You know, He's coming. He's at the, we're at the threshold here of the kingdom. And so, they, again... Uh, first begin to perceive that John might be the uh, Messiah. And he answers no and, and says this. Uh, Matthew says it here in, in uh, Matthew 3.3, 3, For this is he, that is John the Baptist, is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now that phrase right there is going to be important. Prepare the way of the Lord. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So, there's a, uh, from, from Isaiah 40, verse 3, there's a prophecy concerning the ministry of John the Baptist, and that also just sums it up. This, this is his mission to prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. And again, if you go back to Luke, if you read the account in Luke 3, uh, you'll find that that's what he says to them there. He's just come to, uh, to announce. He's come to prepare the way. He also issues uh, warning. With the coming of the kingdom, there's also a promise of judgment. And so, for example, you have... In verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which, which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Talking about judgment. Um, again in verse 11, then again in verse 12, uh, the winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So he's, he's calling for repentance, and he's issuing a warning of judgment. All that's tied in with the proclamation of the coming of the kingdom. So he's saying this is, this is going to be a, a divider. As, as the kingdom comes, as the king arrives and begins his ministry, lines are going to begin to be drawn. And John is saying, those who repent and who bear genuine fruits of repentance are going to inherit the kingdom. But those who don't, he's saying, are going to be judged, condemned. And again, he's saying it's imminent. The axe is laid to the root. It's ready to take place. It's near. So he's exhorting his hearers with the threat of judgment. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, again, verse 11. I indeed, and, and again, this is the, the background of this is, is their question, are you the Christ? And John is answering, no, I'm, I'm not the Christ. Um, he's superior to me. So he says, verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. That's, that's what he's come to do. 
He's, he's conducting a, a water baptism, just like you know we do back here when somebody makes a profession of faith and is, uh, is converted. Symbolic of or symbolizing repentance. So he's preaching repentance and he's baptizing unto repentance. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, there's just a few things I want us to notice here because, again, uh, the purpose here is, is that we would get who Jesus is. That's, that's the purpose in all the Gospels. I mean, it's what Matthew's laying out little by little more and more about Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth who was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And, and as he moves through his life and ministry, he's laying out little by little more and more and more with the intentions of proving that he is the Messiah. Or, I would even say it this way, that he is God in the flesh, the promised Messiah. So, John says, no, he's greater than I am. And then he draws this contrast. Now, here's what I, one thing I want us to keep in mind, though. John's main point here is to say that he is greater. He is mightier. He is more powerful. In other words, that his main contrast is between himself and Jesus. Although he's going to, in order to demonstrate that, he's going to use their ministries. You know, his ministry versus Jesus' ministry. But his main purpose in doing that is not just to show, hey, Jesus has a better baptism than I. His main purpose in doing that is to show that Jesus is mightier than I. He's not just another prophet, not just another man coming who has a different ministry but superior to mine. No, he's saying he himself is superior. And that's his main point. So he says, and he uses their ministries to, to illustrate it, I indeed baptize you with water. And just H2O, the physical stuff. That's John's point. My, my baptism it is just material, physical. Washing of water. Go down in the river and you come back up wet. I baptize with water unto repentance. And the, the, the focus of it, the point of it is, what I'm really doing, John is saying, is exhorting people to repent and be ready for the kingdom of God. And the baptism is symbolic of that. It is a symbolic way of demonstrating your desire to repent. Your dedication to repent. Your commitment to repent. But, he who is coming after me is mightier, more powerful is the idea behind that word. It's the same word that Jesus used when he spoke about uh, his parable about the, the strong man. In order to, to spoil the house of the strong man, one stronger than he must come along. 
And there he's talking about his uh, supremacy over Satan. But in both of those cases, the strong man representing Satan and one stronger than he representing Christ, the same word used here for mightier. He is stronger, more powerful. John, John is saying, here's, here's my ministry. It just it deals with physical things and I'm calling you to repentance. But there's one coming after me whose ministry will be characterized by power. He's, he's mightier than I. So he's, he's going to have a superior ministry that, and a superior baptism because he himself is superior. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. In another place, he says I must decrease, he must increase. Again, keep in mind, he's, he's, his main contrast here is between himself and Jesus. Not just the better baptism, although uh, we're going to look at that. It's, it's a far better baptism. But it's a better baptism because of the baptizer, <laughs> the one doing the baptism. So, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. I'm not worthy to loose the straps because he's mightier than I. He's superior to me. Well, let's consider that for a moment. Why would John speak of Christ in this manner? And another question would be this. Is he just a better man? Is, is John just saying there's a superior prophet coming, much like Jesus said about John? You know, Jesus said there, there, there was no greater prophet than John. In the, in the old dispensation, under the law, there was no greater prophet. In fact, he says there was no greater man than John. That's quite a statement. But John was just a man. And he was just a prophet in that he was, not that, not that that's an insignificant thing, I'm not saying that at all, but he was just a man used as God's mouthpiece. God spoke through him. So, essentially, you can compare John to Abraham or David or Isaiah or Jeremiah, you name them, any one of them, and essentially, there's no difference. You've got a man being used by God. Now, there may be different levels of commitment. You know, maybe one was better committed than another. Maybe one loved the Lord more than another or something like that. But in essence, they were just human beings being used by God. And again, that's no small thing. You know, I told somebody the other day, just to try to make that point, uh, you know, in, in uh, one place in the Old Testament in Numbers, God spoke through uh, Balaam's donkey. That's awesome, isn't it? Don- donkey just talks. Miracle. But I would submit to you, and this, I would submit to you that it's, 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 it's more of an astounding thing that God speaks through me or you. Because that donkey was not a sinner. Just an animal, amoral, so to speak. Just a donkey, not a sinner, not a rebel. He wasn't rebelling against God. So for God to speak through a man at all is astounding. Somebody said in Sunday school this morning, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, we're just vessels. And that's true. 
But we're just broken, dirty, filthy vessels that God picks up and says, you know, I'll use you. That's an astounding thing. So being a prophet is no small thing. But, nevertheless, all of the prophets are just men, just vessels whom God chose to use. And John was of that lot. No essential difference between him and all of the rest. But that's not the case with Jesus. Now, he's a man, and he's fully man. I mean, he doesn't just appear to be a man. He, he comes as a man. He was born of a virgin, born of a human mother. But, more than a man. I think that is what Matthew is communicating to us in verse 3, where he is quoting Isaiah, uh, verse 40, or chapter 40, verse 3. What Isaiah, what the Lord is communicating through Isaiah and what Matthew is communicating here is why he's using this verse. So let's look at that again. Verse 3. Here's the quote. For this is he, now, now this is specifically talking about John the Baptist, first, first of all. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So here's the deal. Matthew's saying, here's, here's what John the Baptist's ministry was. Here's what it was about. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And we got that, right? We've been talking about that. We understand that. But here's the thing. Matthew goes on to say that all of this is being fulfilled, what Isaiah spoke in Isaiah verse, chapter 40, verse 3, is being fulfilled by Isaiah preparing the way for Jesus. One moment. I want to show you uh, one thing before I go ahead and make, make this point. Look at Malachi just a few pages back. This, this is another prophecy um, explained to be a prophecy concerning the ministry of John the Baptist. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. That's talking about John the Baptist, right? Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That sheds some light on it, doesn't it? Starting to, to get the picture there. This, this is God, Yahweh, the, the uh, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the Old Testament God of Israel, the living God, the God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And he gives this word to Malachi roughly 400 years before the birth of Christ and says through the mouth of Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger. And he's talking about John the Baptist. I send my messenger, John the Baptist. Let's just paraphrase it by adding that. 
And He, John the Baptist, will prepare the way before Me. Yahweh, Creator, the God, the God of Israel, says, I'm sending a messenger to prepare My way before Me. Personal pronoun there, pointing to Himself. God, Jehovah God, Yahweh. Well, that's what Isaiah said too. If you look again at Matthew's quote here in verse 3. John the Baptist will be a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And here's, here's his ministry. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, your translation should have all capitals there in that word Lord. Because it's the proper name for God, Yahweh. So what Isaiah said was, of this messenger. He'll be a voice of one crying in the wilderness, quote, prepare the way of Yahweh. Prepare the way of Yahweh. Make His paths straight. Now, whose coming did John come to announce? Who, who did John come to prepare the way for? Yahweh of the Old Testament or Jesus of Nazareth? And the answer is yes to both. And that's what Isaiah and Malachi and Matthew and John the Baptist, that's what they are communicating to us. This is the Lord, Yahweh. Now, you see why John says, oh, the one, the coming one, the coming one, He's mightier than I. And it helps us understand the the contrast in the baptisms too, doesn't it? John says, look, I baptize with water unto repentance. I'm exhorting you to repent because the Lord... Yahweh is coming. But He who is coming after me is mightier than I. One account He goes on to say is because He was before me. <laughs> he is mightier than I. And that's, that's interesting too because John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. And he referred to Jesus as being before Him. He's mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, here's the contrast in ministries, which demonstrates the difference in power, which, of course, is tied to the difference in person. Our essence. John's saying he's not like me, and therefore his baptism's not going to be like me. I baptize with water under repentance. But look, the one who's coming after me, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Not water, but the Holy Spirit. And fire. I want to come back to that in a moment. Right now, let's for a minute, let's focus on 
the Holy Spirit. Bapti- I, would, I can say it this way. This is the way it's often said today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this. There are several times this phrase is used uh, in the New Testament. Bap- uh, in the Holy Spirit or in the Spirit in one case. I'm going to show you in a moment here. And uh, what I'm going to try to demonstrate to you is that they're all talking about the same thing. And in a nutshell, it's this. Every believer, everybody that enters the kingdom of God, this is what John's announcing, the kingdom of heaven is, is near, it's at hand, so you know, get ready, repent. Uh, the whole purpose is to enter in. You want to repent and enter in. Every believer, everyone who follows Christ is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, you can put the word the preposition in there or you can use with. Either one of them is a legitimate translation. The Greek word is in. Uh, if, you, if you spell it with uh, uh, our alphabet, it looks like E-N rather than I-N. But the Greek word in, it can be translated with or in, I-N, or by. In one case, it's by. And that's what has, um, um, I think, some have... have, have confused as a different baptism. I'll get to that in a moment. But um, John is saying he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's another reference to God, the Holy Spirit. So, John says, the one that's coming after me, he's not going to baptize in water. He's going to baptize you, immerse you. I do believe the word baptism means immersion. And that's... That in itself, especially in this context, is an awesome truth. I mean, when you talk about being immersed in water, um, I, I think that's the scriptural mode of, of, of water baptism. You know, the way we should baptize is by immersing people in water. But, think about this for a moment. Being immersed in the Spirit of God. I mean, just, just being brought in so that you are literally brought into so that He dwells in you and you dwell in Him. So much the same way, I mean, just, just by way of analogy, much the same way now you are in this building, you have come into this building. You're not, you're not part way in and part way out or something like that. You're, you're, you're surrounded, you're immersed, you are in or into the building. Here's how mighty He is. First of all, He's the Lord. He's the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, which I have come to prepare the way for. He's the one that's coming after me. And His baptism's not water baptism. He's going to baptize you into the very Spirit of God. So John says, I baptize you with water unto repentance. Now, here, here's the, the difference, the contrast. I, I'm commanding repentance. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or it's near, it's nigh. I baptize with water, the liquid stuff, and I tell you to repent. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit, empowering you to repent. That's a mightier baptism. That's a, that's a mightier baptism because it's a mightier baptizer. John, John didn't have 
He wanted everybody to repent. He wanted everybody to turn to God. And that desire was expressed in His preaching and He had the ability to preach and the God-given ability to preach the Word. But He didn't have the ability to change hearts. He could baptize them in water, but He couldn't baptize them in the Spirit. He couldn't make them holy. He couldn't sanctify them, set them apart for God's use. But he says, the one coming after me can do that. He's mightier than I. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will bring about repentance. Oh, he'll command it too. Jesus came preaching the same message that John did. But, He'll have the power to bring repentance about in men. I told you I was going to give you a couple of references on this phrase, in the Spirit. Let me do that quickly before we move on to the last point, and we'll be done here. Uh, there are a couple other accounts of the same thing we're looking at here. Mark 1.8, for example, I indeed baptize you with water but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Or you could say in the Holy Spirit. It's the same exact Greek phrase. Um, another one is Luke 3.16. He will baptize you with the, water, with the Holy Spirit and fire. Same thing He says here. Uh, another one, um, John 1.33. Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on Him, this is He who baptizes with the Spirit. Or... In the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. In uh, Jesus, in Acts 1.5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And it's the same phrase. Uh, in Numati Hagias, in the Holy Spirit. Um, then I remembered, this is Acts 11.16, I remember the word of the Lord, how He said, John, indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's Peter talking about his experience at the house of Cornelius. Uh, when Gentiles were filled with the Spirit, or baptized in the Spirit. Um, now, here's, here's the one that causes a little bit of a glitch sometimes. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And, and, if, and I made the statement a while ago, and this is the one reason I need to go here. I made the statement a while ago that every believer, every Christian is baptized in the Holy Spirit because that is salvation. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is regeneration. It's when you are saved, when you are brought into the church, when you become one of the people of God. So, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now, the body there, he's talking about the church, universal, the body of Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Now, notice one difference there. Every one we've looked at so far, the verses I just gave you a moment ago, you'll be baptized in the Spirit, in the Spirit. And in fact, we go back to... Uh, Matthew 3 here, and John is saying that, John the Baptist is saying, Jesus, the one coming after me, Jesus will baptize you in the Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer. 
and the Holy Spirit is the element you'll be baptized into. But here, Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Baptized into the body of Christ by one Spirit. It sounds like a different baptism. And this has been, not has been, it is taught widely that what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 is a different baptism. So, for example, in, in Matthew 3, you've got John the Baptist talking about a baptism that Jesus performs. He baptizes you in the Spirit. But over here in 1 Corinthians 12, you've got Paul talking about a baptism performed by the Holy Spirit when He baptizes you into the body of Christ. But I would submit to you they're one and the same thing. And one reason I say that is this. That little phrase that is translated in the King James Version, by one Spirit, is the same exact Greek phrase we've been looking at in all of those other passages. In other words, the word is in. In. In one Spirit, Paul says. In one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. But he's just saying, when you were baptized in the Spirit, at that moment, you were baptized into the body of Christ. It's one and the same thing. You're baptized in the Spirit and you become a member of the body of Christ. And he uses the same language if you need some. I don't really have time to go through this, but if you uh, maybe later. But if, if, if you want to see evidence of that, go back to uh, chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He uses the same language about the uh, children of Israel in the wilderness. Uh, they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. But, but it's one event. Same thing here. They were baptized, we were baptized in the Spirit into the body of Christ. So that's what John is saying, John the Baptist. There's one coming after me who's going to baptize you in the Spirit. He's talking about salvation when you become a part of the body of Christ. Now, there's one other aspect of this baptism here that I need to touch on before we finish. Back to verse 11. Matthew 3.11 He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We just saw that's talking about salvation, enablement to true repentance. He's going to make you a child of the kingdom, in other words. He's going to save you, baptize you into the Spirit of God. Your whole nature is going to be changed. You become a child of God. He will baptize you in the Spirit and fire. Now, I said earlier, John is saying the kingdom is at hand and it's going to be a divider. It's going to create dividing lines. The repentant and the unrepentant. The repentant enter in the kingdom. The unrepentant judgment is imminent. That's what he's saying in the latter part of this verse. That is, Jesus, the mightier one, you could say, you could say it this way. He's, he's coming to conduct two, two different baptisms. One is the baptism in the Spirit. 
That is salvation for all those who believe. Jesus said, um, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He that cometh unto me, uh, or, or no man can come to the Father but through me, or he that cometh unto me, I will no wise cast out. He's talking about salvation through him. The other baptism is one of judgment. That's what the word fire represents here. One mightier than I, I I just baptize you in water and exhort you to repent. And we do the baptism symbolizing repentance, but I I can't enable you to repent. I can't generate repentance in you. And if you refuse, you don't have to answer to me. I'm just the messenger. But the one coming after me is mightier than I. And if you repent, He will baptize you in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And if you refuse, He will baptize you in fire. God's judgment. Now, let me say quickly, we're about done here. Because so often, um, that is used as as if it's talking about one thing. A baptism in the Holy Spirit in fire, meaning, uh, again, meaning salvation or, or some aspect of it. I, I think, and, and, and you, if, you, if you hold that view, you're, I mean, you're in good company. I was looking, Calvin, John Calvin held that view. Uh, it appears that Charles Spurgeon held that view. I was going to, in fact, I was going to read you, <clears throat> see if I can find that quote real quick, and I'll uh, show you what Spurgeon had to say about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's powerful, um, but I don't think uh, consistent with the text. Here's here's what Spurgeon says. Repentance is well attended by washing in water, but the true baptism of the believer by the Lord Jesus Himself brings us into spiritual floods of holy fire. (laughs) It's a good saying, isn't it? Jesus is the divine Lord who covers us with the fiery influences of the Holy Spirit. Do we know this baptism? What is water baptism without it? What are all the Johns in the world with their baptisms in water when compared with Jesus and His baptism into fire. So Spurgeon viewed that as you know same thing as baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talking about salvation there. Uh, again, Calvin did as well. Uh, but I don't think that is consistent with the rest of the text. What John is doing all the way through here is, is, is drawing this division, this contrast between the repentant and the unrepentant. And he's, he's giving a promise of the nearness of the kingdom to those who believe, and a warning of judgment to those who reject. So, for example, in verse 10, he says, uh, or in verse 9, he says to the Jews, Don't think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's saying the unrepentant, those who will not repent and bear fruits worthy of repentance will be cast into the fire. And then you look at verse 12. He gives another analogy. The winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. So he, he pictures, he gives a scene that they would have all been familiar with, foreign to me, foreign to most of us probably, but they would have all been familiar with it where they gather the weed on the threshing floor and the guy's got a, like a pitchfork or a shovel in his hand 
uh, it's translated fan in the King James. Some others have winnowing fork or, or shovel or something like that. But he, he takes that weed and tosses it up into the air. And chaff is the bad stuff. And it's lighter than the wheat. So when he throw it up into the air, the, the, the chaff would be blown away. The stuff that's no good would be blown away by the wind. And the wheat, the, the grains of wheat, which was heavier, would just fall back to the ground. And that's how they would purge the wheat. And when they'd get through done with that, they'd gather the wheat into the barn. And then they would take all the chaff that blew away out there and burn it. Because it's useless. And that's the picture John uses to portray judgment. He's going to gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So notice this. When he speaks of judgment in verse 10, he uses fire to describe it. When he speaks of judgment in verse 12, he uses fire to describe it. Now, nestled right in between those two verses, verse 10 and verse 12 is verse 11. I think the word fire means the same thing. So he's saying, this one coming after me has a twofold or two different baptisms. One, he will baptize those who believe into the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. So you become a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom. But for the unrepentant, he's got a baptism of fire, judgment. Because of your refusal to believe the gospel. Now, let me just close by asking the same question Spurgeon asked, though I presented it a little bit different. When we talk about this baptism of the Holy Spirit, salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit, do you know this baptism? Good question, wasn't it? It's what Spurgeon, Spurgeon asked. Do we know this baptism? Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Do you dwell in the Spirit of God? Have you been baptized? Immersed? Submersed? Whatever. In the Spirit. Paul says in Romans, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. So the question is not just, you know, somewhere back there, did I decide to do good? Or did somebody say, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven? And I raised my hand and said, yeah, I like that better than eternal fire. The, the question is, do you know this baptism of the Spirit? Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Would you stand? I appreciate your patience. I know it's a little late, and I, 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 I try not to take advantage of that. I want you to know I don't take it for granted. appreciate your patience. But consider these things today. Consider where you are with Christ. What baptism of His would you be the recipient of? Are you a believer? Do you desire Him? Do you desire to follow after Him? Would you then 
receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is, become a child of God, citizen of His kingdom, with eternal glory to look forward to in His presence? Or would you refuse the Gospel and suffer the baptism of fire? Simply put, the Gospel is this. We're all alienated from God. That's how we come into this world. We're sinners. We're rebels. Christ came. Jesus came to save sinners. God became a man and went to the cross, earned righteousness for us. We're going to talk about that tonight. Before He went to the cross, earned righteousness for us and then went to the cross to pay for the sins of all who believe. Are you fully trusting in Him today for forgiveness of sins and for life everlasting? Let's pray. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.